Well, welcome, church. For those of you that may be new, uh, my name is George Romanacci, and I get to serve as worship pastor here at West Shore Free Church. And perhaps you're watching for the first time at home. I want to welcome you and thank you for worshiping with us. And today, we are going to continue in our series on 1 Corinthians 13. As we look at what Paul says about what love is and what love isn't. And tonight we're going to deal with another what love isn't. And I first want to start off by listing off a couple of different activities people can take part in or types of people that you may come in contact with and just maybe take note of what this instills in you. People that talk during a movie. When someone is talking to you or when you're in a conversation and all they do is just stare at their phone the entire time. <laughs> when you go into the bathroom at your house and you find that there's no toilet paper left because whoever went in before you never bothered to change it out. Or paper straws. I hate those things with a passion. They just fall apart in my mouth. When someone sends a text or email using all capital letters, I will never get that. When you're waiting in a line so patiently and someone just decides to cut in front. A person who chews loudly with their mouth open. Or when someone tells you to calm down. Does it ever work? Never works. It's the worst thing you, just say, you can say to somebody when they need to calm down. Or when you're trying to turn the TV on and the remote control is nowhere to be found. It's vanished, it's raptured, it's gone. Can't turn it on. In me, I know this list, it invokes annoyance and irritation and exasperation. And we all have either people that we know or things that people do or circumstances that we don't like. Sit situations, as C.S. Lewis calls them, the daily frictions and frustrations that can cause irritation. And the objects of our irritation could be family, friends, strangers, or even people in this room, perhaps. And what we're going to look at today is irritation, no matter how small or insignificant it may seem to be, it is actually more serious than we think, because as Paul plainly says in 1 Corinthians 13, love is not irritable. Not only is it counter to a biblical definition of love, but it is counter to the very nature of who God is. Our God is not a God who is ir irritable. And I think this topic that we're going to be looking at tonight, it's, it's something that it's timely for us. Because we live presently in a world where there seems to be an Everest-sized mountain of things to get irritated about where it seems as if people today are more easily provoked than ever. Our world today is one that thrives on irritation and outrage on just about everything. Just go on Facebook for two minutes. And in this biosphere of irritation and annoyance over, over circumstances and other people and difference of opinion, showing love and loving others can be very different, difficult forgotten and even consciously ignored, and the church and Christians, we are not 
immune to this whatsoever. We're not immune to it because Paul singles it out, 1 Corinthians 13. So I first want to start with a biblical definition of what is irritation. And so irritation biblically is this quick-temperedness. It's getting annoyed over something with, with no space for patience or forbearance. The standard Greek definition actually found uh, in the, the word that Paul uses, the Greek word for irritation in 1 Corinthians 13, the definition means to be easily provoked. It's an anger that, that quickly wells up in our heart and can lead many times to an outward, rapid expression of ungodly anger. And for the context of, of today, we have to understand that Paul is not talking about just being angry in general. Paul knows, and the Bible tells us, that there are there are just and righteous and therefore reasonable reasons to be angry over what makes God angry. This is called righteous anger. We can be angry about the thousands of babies that are murdered every year in abortion. We can be angry about the millions of slaves that are held captive in human trafficking right now in this moment. We can be angry about injustice and evil that is perpetrated throughout our world. We are to be angry when we see God's name being tarnished. But in that anger, as Ephesians 4.26 says, we are not to sin. That anger, that righteous anger, that's directed and propelled by patient love rather than irritation, which is directed and propelled by selfishness, pride, cheap outrage, and ultimately our flesh. And so remembering the backdrop of 1 Corinthians as the whole book, Paul is signaling this out because it is an issue that the church was dealing with. They were having major divisions. And they were having divisions over things that really were kind of uh, ridiculous. They were arguing over who should follow who. Are you going to follow Paul or Cephas or Apollos or Christ? They were arguing over theological issues, issues of sexual morality, differences in practices, social concerns, and how to use the spiritual gifts, and in their division and in their quarreling over these issues, they acted in a way that was opposite of love. They basically were just shouting at one another, easily provoked, angry. And just like those in the Corinthian church back in that day, we too can face the daily temptation of being irritated with those around us, those in our families, our congregation, and outside the church. And instead of being easily provoked and irritable, we should strive to be as James 1.19 calls us to be, which is slow to anger. And he's not just saying be slow to anger because it's going to make you a happier person or it's a moral good for you. He's saying be slow to anger because that is who our God is. God declares himself to be slow to anger and not irritable. In Exodus 34, we remember when Moses is on the rock, on the mountain, Mount Sinai, and God's going to pass by him. As God is passing by him, he declares himself who he is. He says his name, and then he describes his character. And this is what he says. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And so as our God is a God who is slow to anger and abounding in love, 
That love, his love, compels us to be the same way. Love is not irritable. And too many times, we are the opposite of that. We are slow to love and quick to anger. But our God shows us a better way. And so open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians 13, and we're going to read in verse 1. Starting in verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on his own way. It is not irritable. And so we'll stop there. And so if love is not irritable, that means that there is real implications and real rotten fruit that is born as a result of irritation in our lives. There are negative implications for the health of our hearts, the state of our souls, the unity of the church, the strength of our witness and the ability to love God and love others. And so knowing this, I want to look at three dangers of irritability and three weapons that we can use against it in our lives. And so the first danger, irritability can cause a hardness of heart towards people. And so I was, as I was doing research for uh, this message, I came across a, a writer on, on the internet that had listed off 100 things that irritate him and annoy him. I, I mean, just to write that list has to be irritating, right? And so he starts with things like obnoxious people, people who say they're going to do things and don't, people who are irresponsible, people with no sense of hygiene. And then he starts going on to sillier things like clickbait articles and why there's not enough vegan options in menus and restaurants. And then when he finally gets to the hundredth thing, this is what he lists as his hundredth thing that irritates him. And it just says, people. That's it. You see, what being irritable in general and being irritable towards others does is it makes it easier for us to see others around us as annoyances, as obstacles, rather than gifts or people made in the image of God and people that need the gospel. And when we let that take root, it discourages us from wanting to be around others. It discourages us from saying hi to your neighbor or perhaps even avoiding that person here at West Shore Free Church that just rubs you the wrong way sometimes. And in this, we miss some great opportunities to love others. We miss genuine gospel opportunities. We miss life-giving exchanges and relationships. We miss reflecting the very character of God in love towards others. And instead, we embrace isolation and anger. And part of this hardness of heart towards others that can result due to irritation is that it really does cultivate a sort of victim mentality in us. And when we're the victim, 
we're not the one that, ones that need to change, right? We're, we're fine because I, I'm, a, I'm a victim. So you end up saying, it's not my fault I'm annoyed. It, it's not my problem that this person irritates me. It's their fault. It's their actions that are causing my reaction. It's their problem. It's my spouse's problem. It's my kid's problem, my coworker's problem. That random person in the supermarket that goes to the express lane with 11 items. It's their fault that I have a hard time loving right now and I am irritated. And this mentality completely makes your outrage reasonable. You can rationalize it. It gives you permission to be selfish, inward, harden your heart. It gives you validity to your lack of love. And, and listen, I, I, like, I understand, like, people can be difficult, right? I'm a difficult person. People can be difficult. But where in the Bible does it say, love is not irritable, unless they're, like, super annoying? Like, if they're super annoying, then don't worry about this first. It doesn't. And we see that in God's actions towards us. We're the most irritable of people. We should be. And we'll get to that a little later. But instead, God pursued us with perfect love. So we need to watch this danger of being hard in our hearts towards others because of irritability. Second danger, irritability can cause a hardness of heart towards God. And specifically, I, I, I want to talk about here as it relates to circumstances, where circumstances make us irritable and exasperates us, and that exasperates, in turn, our love for God. And we'll look at an example very quickly in Exodus 17. So just to paint this picture, in Exodus 17, the Israelites are in the wilderness. This is one chapter right after uh, God sends manna from heaven. And they're wandering around the wilderness, and they come to this area, and there's no water to drink. So they start getting really annoyed. And it says in verse 2, Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And so God in his goodness then instructed Moses to strike a rock. Water comes out, and they are given water. And in verse 7, it says, And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? And we know that their hearts were hardened because in Psalm 95, the writer references them. He says, Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah as on that day at Massa in the wilderness when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. The Israelites allowed the, their circumstance to dictate their love and trust in God. And just like with any relationship, when trust is lost, love is lost. And it started with them being irritated at the circumstance. And I really see a parallel of what we're going through right now. Uh, our world has been turned completely upside down. Our routines, our dreams, our expectations, our lives to all, to one degree or another, have been deeply impacted. And it can feel like that we are in a wilderness asking, when is this going to end? How much longer? How many more restrictions? Are my kids going to school? How many more cancellations, mandates, yellow light, red light, social distancing, masks? 
and then you blend it all up with the division that's in our country right now, and it can feel like we are in this exasperating wilderness. And as a result, I think that the symptom, what can come, what can be born of this in this irritation over our circumstance is that we become numb. We just become ambivalent. We become apathetic. And we throw our hands up and we just say, you know what, I'm done. I am mentally checking out, I'm done. And as a result, we can see devotional times become sparser. Our prayer life wanes. We can seek less and less opportunities to thoughtfully and intentionally love others and we can look to other things to fill us. And in it, it directly affects our confidence in him, our trust in him, and ultimately our love for him. And even though this time is difficult in different ways, we cannot let circumstantial irritation lead us to a place where we question his goodness, his resolve, his providence, his faithfulness. We instead need to remember his work Psalm 95, right, and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work, remember his faithfulness, remember his work, and that irritation will melt into more love and trust in him. Third danger, irritability damages our witness for Christ. And so when we are irritable with others or, or, or others see us as irritable, it really does, it mutes, it hinders our witness, our message, our example for Christ because we become, as Paul warned, in 1 Corinthians 13, that without love, we're what? We're a clanging cymbal. We're a gong. And so your words will be empty. Your message will be weakened, and people will avoid what you have to say or even avoid you. I mean, like, who, who likes, raise your hand if you like being around a loud, banging thing. Does anyone like that? The only people that I know that like that are drummers. That's the only ones. We could be the most articulate at speaking on issues, in the Bible, on the gospel, but as Paul connects, if we are just irritable as people and lack love, it doesn't matter about our clever words or our intellectual prowess. It'll just be noise because of irritability. And as God's people, we need to set and be the example for love, true love, in a world that is just seemingly giving into anger and irritation at an exponential rate. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. They won't hear you. And I think for, for parents, this is something that was just so convicting for me this week with our kids, how irritated we get with our kids. Like, I get it. Like, kids sometimes, they just do crazy stuff. And it can be a little exasperating at times. But as parents, we have to guard our hearts. We have to guard our actions of not just being parents that are yelling at them, bothered by them, irritated by them, because do, they, do you want them to grow up? We don't want them to grow up and just remember my house when I was a kid, it was just dad and mom yelling at me all the time. They were just bothered with me all the time. Because just like the noisy gong, the clanging cymbal, 
I really believe that as our kids grow up, even when they, when they get older and they're able to make independent decisions, we're still going to want to lead them and instruct them and give them advice. But if what they remember was just irritated parents that were loud yelling at them all the time, they're more likely not going to hear what you have to say as they grow up. And so this doesn't mean that we avoid discipline or accountability for children. Like, absolutely, children need accountability and discipline but there's a way to do that with love and not just being a loud, clanging symbol of irritation towards them. Our God, slow to anger, abounding in love. And I think this specifically, uh, just for, you know, for me personally, when, when my kids make an honest mistake, like not getting irritated at them. And I, my dad was a great example of this. And I remember one specific story uh, when I was about 12 years old when he really should have been like super irritated with me. And uh, so the, 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 the story goes is that uh, we, were, we just bought this new house in New Jersey and we had these big walls in the living room and they were pink. Who wants pink walls? So they wanted to change the color. And so my dad took white paint, he painted all the walls and you know, at, at the end of the job, like any man, he stood there and admired his work. My mom was there and he's looking at going, Look at the smoothness of the wall. Look at the, just the color. It's just so, it's so even. It's amazing. Meanwhile, 12-year-old George is behind him with my sister, and we're playing Power Rangers. And I have a vacuum cleaner hose in my hand as a sword, and it's two pieces connected to one another, and I swing it at her, not to hit her. Maybe, maybe I was trying to hit her. I don't know. But I swung it hard enough where the second part detached from the part that I was holding and flew through the air like a javelin. And as my parents are admiring this wall, it comes through like a projectile arrow, goes into the wall and sticks into the wall. Now, in this moment, I'm like, I'm dead. Like, 12 years on the earth, it was good. Peace, I'm out. And I think I said something like, oh, it'll be fine. And my dad, as he's rubbing his forehead, goes over and pulls it out with force. And there's a giant hole in the wall, and sheetrock just comes, like, pouring out. And so as time stood still, I just waited to see what his reaction would be. And he just says, run. <laughs> and so I take off. I just run into my room. I'm freaking out. But little did I know, my dad was cracking up. He, he, he couldn't let me just get away with it, so he had to give me a little bit of a hard time. He came in the room, and he comforted me and was like, it's fine, it's a mistake, but then also instructed me, it's not smart to be swinging stuff like that around the house. So we need to fight against being an irritable witness towards others. And now weapons against irritability. The first one, we need to deal with our heart. We need to deal with our heart. We need to know that when we're irritable, it has more to do with what's taking place inside your heart than it does a circumstance or someone else's action. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. And so if ir irritation is, is manifest through our actions and our words, and we know what the Bible says about the condition of the heart being at the center of our actions, and our words, well then we know until we deal with our hearts in this area of being easily provoked and irritation, we're, we're not going to focus in the right place and true change is not going to take 
place. And so I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. This is uh, one of my best friends in my house. This is my vacuum cleaner. And things are about to get a little weird. So just bear with me, okay? I love my vacuum cleaner. I love to vacuum. The reason that I love to vacuum, I love my vacuum cleaner, is because on the other side, one thing that makes me so irritated is crumbs on the ground. I just can't stand crumbs on the ground. So when I see crumbs on the ground, I have to vacuum them. And if any of you have kids, you know that when you have little kids, if they're eating a cookie or a piece of toast or a cracker, they eat it like a chipmunk. And no matter how many times you say, eat over the table, eat over the table, eat over the table, there just happens to be this pile of crumbs under them that you literally could just bring together and make a new loaf of bread. And so I get irritated because I see crumbs in the ground, and I'm, I'm picking this thing up, and I'm vacuuming, and then again, 30 seconds later, just crumbs in the ground. I'm irritated again. So then I'm vacuuming it up again. And then it's this cycle of irritation, and I'm fine. And irritation, and I'm fine because of the crumbs. And the situation here is that I'm not dealing with my heart. I'm dealing with the circumstance of crumbs being on the ground that bother me. And my fallacy, the lie that I'm believing, is that my irritation will go away if this just changes. Instead of dealing with what's going on in my heart, and dealing with the fact that I'm not being loving towards my family, I'm not being patient towards them, I'm not uh, uh, putting my attention on them, I have my attention, I'm distracted. Instead of just saying, you know what, my family's more important than this little mess, who cares? We'll get to it. It's the wrong prescription. And so then how do we do this? How do we deal with the heart? Well, I, I think it's replacing irritability with what Paul says love is. It's exercising patience and kindness and being long-suffering. And where we're going to go next week, forgiving. You know, it really is like working out in a sense that, you know, if you want to lose weight and, and get in shape, the, the prescription is not to sit on the couch, watch more Netflix, and eat potato chips. Like, you have to actually get up and go do something. You have to lift weights. You have to go to the gym. You have to run. In the same way, we have to practice what love is. And when we do that, our hearts will be softened. Those rhythm, rhythms will result in love. And irritation will be rooted out of our hearts. And all of this, of course, is, is done not on our own strength, but on the power of God, which he promises to us. So the second weapon, so that we can deal with the heart and practice what love is, is that we have to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I know that for basically any message, one application point can be live with the power of the Holy Spirit. But for this, I know this helps me so much, because we cannot minimize the real-time, in-the-moment power that the Holy Spirit gives you when you ask. That it allows and he allows and empowers you to say no to being easily provoked and instead having self-control and patience and love. 1 Timothy 1.7, For God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and love and self-control. In those moments when you come home from a long day and the kids are going wild, your spouse is tired, you are exhausted, the Holy Spirit in that moment gives you the power to love them, even through all the mess. 
when that college roommate that can't seem to get their side of the dorm clean, even though you've asked them multiple times, the Holy Spirit gives you the power to love them and not just blow up. Children, when your mom or dad asks you to help with something around the house, to do a chore, but you really don't want to do it, you'd rather watch TV, play video games, or hang out with your friends, the Holy Spirit gives you the power to obey and love and serve them willingly. When that person that you don't know rudely cuts you off on Route 15, the Holy Spirit gives you the power to love them too, even though you don't know, don't know them, instead of saying nasty words in your car. When that fellow church member shares on social media a political view or take on the current situation that you vehemently disagree with, the Holy Spirit gives you the power to love them and seek unity despite your disagreement instead of sending an irritable comment. When you have that coworker that is difficult and annoying, the Holy Spirit gives you the power to be patient and love towards them regardless of their behavior. So we must, must rely and lean on the power of God that is in us in order to choose love and not cheap anger. And the final weapon is simply Jesus. Everything about him, every aspect of who he is, his example, his power, his impact, his character, his gospel. And so in Mark 6, this is preamble to Jesus feeding uh, the 5,000, and Jesus sends out all the disciples to basically go on a missions trip to different towns, and he sends them out in twos, and he sends them out without any bread or any money, right? Pretty easy. And he says, go and preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons in my name. So here in Mark 6 and verse 30, the apostles are now gathering together, and they are excited to tell all that had happened. And as you can expect, they are exhausted. They didn't have any bread, so they're probably hungry. So let's read. It says, So the apostles gathered on Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going, that they did not even have a chance to eat. And so Jesus said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And in that moment, if I was a disciple, I'm like, yes, like, please, can we just like lay down and have some fish, hang out, and drink dirty ocean water? I don't know what they drank back then. So they went away, it says, so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So word had spread of all that's happening, like Jesus, disciples, these miracles, and so it's like paparazzi basically are just crowding, like they're just running towards them. And it says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. And so Jesus shows us the better way, his better way, the only way. In a moment where, I know for me, I would have been irritated. I'm exhausted, I'm hangry, I just wanna go chill out. We're gonna go over here to this place and all these people are coming in the choice, am I going to minister to them? Am I going to be with them? Am I going to love them? 
I, I just, I'm, I'm irritated right now. I'm annoyed. I just want to get away. That's not what Jesus does because that's not who he is. He saw their need. Him. He saw what they needed. His love. And so his response was the very opposite of irritability. And in that crowd that he says that they were wandering, that was us. That was us. But not only did, were we wandering, we did so much worse than wander. We reviled the name of Jesus. We rejoiced in our sin. We rejected the creator of all things. We embraced darkness and ran from his light. We traded something immeasurably beautiful, his presence, his word, his love, his life, his satisfaction, and traded it for something dreadfully horrid. Our sin, our flesh, selfishness, anger, hate. And it, it was... It was as if in our blindness, in our spiritual darkness, we desired to kindle the anger of God. To see how far that we could go, how much his love stretched before he would blow up. And instead, the reality is that we found the complete opposite. Because we could never reach the end of his love for us. And because our God is unlike any other God. Slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And, and we see the evidence of this above all as God the Father, loving Father, sent his only Son to change our trajectory from hell to heaven, from death to life, from us being the objects of God's holy and righteous anger towards rebellious and wicked people to instead being the objects of his perfect love and delight. This is incredible. And as Jesus was tasked with executing this incredible plan by going to the cross, he did not slow down. He did not pause. He did not question. He came running for those that he should be the most irritated with. The ones that opposed him and crucified him and wronged him. Jesus, when he was hanging on the cross, was not pent up with anger that was waiting to be poured out on us, but rather, he was pent up with love love that he delighted to pour out on us as he shed his blood so that we could be forgiven the people that are free and healed and even when he's hanging there in unimaginable pain what does he say father forgive them for they know not what they do and because of this every irritating sin of ours is covered in his blood. We have done way worse to Jesus than what any person or circumstance could do to us, yet he loved us perfectly. And, and in, in, in us, this shouldn't produce 
guilt, but it rather should produce an overwhelming gratitude and a hunger to be transformed into his image that rejects irritation and embraces love. Peter in 1 Peter 2 sums all of this up. He, being Jesus, committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he, he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And so because of his power, because of what he's done to heal us, he now calls us, moves us, transforms us to resist irritation and all that comes with it. All the quarreling and the anger and the hostility and the disorder. Second Corinthians 12. All the enmity, strife, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, Galatians 5. And instead to put on his love, his patient love. And when we do this, the result is incredible. The result is greater unity in our church, greater witness for the gospel, and our hearts will be full of the love that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 13. All for his glory, all for his kingdom. Love is not irritable because it does not reflect the nature and character of God because our God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So we're going to transition now to communion, remembering the sacrifice of Christ as we've been discussing. And Jim, while Jim plays in the organ for a couple of minutes, I just want us to, to meditate once again on his love, on his patient, perfect, forbearing love, that he did not choose anger and irritation but chose the cross. So as he plays, let us meditate on the gospel.